One. Welcome back to Ojogu Bonito with me, your host Jake Ron. And we've got Mr. Jennings back in the building. And of course, Mr. Ferguson. Hello, hello, hello. Can Welcome you hear me? Back. Yeah, we can hear you. Yep. It's strange, I can't hear myself. Okay, yeah. Uh, this will be why. Let's uh, let's give you a little bit of something. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah there Much you better. go. Okay. I'm just fiddling with some dials in here. Great. Wow, we missed you, Mr. Jennings, last couple of episodes. We yeah. had Hugo on out of all individuals. Yeah, I have to say, I'm particularly disappointed. I, I missed that one. Um, I've heard Hugo was in good form. Yeah. He was, apart from his uh, take on Benoit Badiashil. But well, he was he was on good form with his predictions, certainly. Right. Uh, I he, think yeah, he, he beat both of us. Did he? Yeah. Great. Beginner's luck. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> certainly. What week we've had in football this week? Um, the Premier League in the latter stages. Arsenal, bottlers are not bottlers. A hundred percent. Well, uh, you, you, they could have gone eleven points. They were eleven points clear at one point. In fairness, I have said before. I'm. I've never been convinced by Arteta, and this was the year. I think was it third year now, and I'm going to make comparisons with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer just because. But I think when you consider Ole's league positions with Man United, where where he finished in the league, and actually, although not winning huge amounts, taking us through to consecutive finals, except semi final final, um, he he did a he did a better job than Arteta's done. And still wasn't good enough to keep his job. Aesthetically, fans, probably not though. In no, terms of playing no. style. But then, uh, if football's a results-based industry, at the end of the day, so definitely, definitely. And and the question for Arsenal fans is 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 this: Would would you have rather finished the season with a trophy or finish second? So you've been watching Rio Ferdinand's fives, have you? Absolutely. <laughs> and and I find it I find it really really difficult because there was a guy, there was a journalist, Charles or Charlie. I can't remember his surname now, but he released a book around about January time called The Rise of Arteta's Arsenal. And it just felt very premature um, because I wasn't sure that that was an appropriate thing to release when they hadn't actually won a great deal yet. It's it's an interesting scenario, isn't it? Because, it, and it's interesting you make the comparison with, with Ollie as well. I'm personally not convinced by the argument, but I will also say Ollie was hamstringed by the fact that the board basically signed Ronaldo for him. Yeah. And then Ronaldo was absolutely the antithesis of the kind of football that Ole was building at the time. And Ole didn't get the didn't get the signings he wanted either. Now, in fairness to Arteta in the January transfer window, he, he didn't get the signings he wanted either. No, I, I think it would have been very interesting to see what Modric would have done at Arsenal, actually. Yeah, and if they'd got Caicedo, mm. if that had if that had happened, then I think they possibly would have been in a slightly different position. But at the same time I just think Arteta's run out of ideas. I don't think that they are. Um, I don't think they're f- fatigued as, as much as perhaps they're being let on. I just, I just think they've they've just given up a bit. They are very young. I think is the other consideration here as a, as a squad. They are, um, but I think the older players, the more senior players, are those are those that have really let them down. I think Thomas Partey in the part in the final final sort of third of the part of the season, if that's the way of looking at it, has been horrendous. And I know the loss of um, the centre back has has been a big hit for them as well. Big Billy Saliba. Yeah, he he's been he was probably their best player prior to that. And if you if any team loses their best player, then there's obviously going to be a a bit of a, a bit of a fallout from that. But but there's there's something else. There's something deeper than this going on. I think because this is a very similar story to what we've seen. And I I don't mean to to Arsenal bash here. I really don't. But we've seen this time and again. Not under Arteta, but under Wenger, 
we we saw it season after season after season where they got to a good position by January, beginning of February, and then had a dreadful two three month run where they fell out of contention for everything. But they but they were still in stuff. That they would get to February time and they were often still competing in the in the Champions League. They were mm. more often than not still competing in the domestic cup, and Wenger also had a hell of a lot of credit in the back. I mean, he still yeah. he still has he still has presented us with and I mean people can make comparisons all they want about you know all time best you know Premier League 11s the best time the greatest full time Premier League 11 is that 2004 Arsenal side and 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 that is it there's mm. there's no point in going any further with that conversation i think that is the team that has set the record which if anybody was to ever do again would be a would be an amazing i don't think it will happen again to no. be honest with you i think that is the greatest ever Premier League achievement um Greater than Leicester's Premier League win, I think that that's the second. But I think the unbeaten season is is the real, you know, the real the tip of the iceberg in terms of that achievement. But my point here is that Arteta just doesn't have that. This is three years now in the role. This is a guy who has had so much positivity said about him for really very very little. He won an FA Cup in his first season, I think. If yeah, it feels like he's being praised for for his style of football more than he's being praised for his football results. Yeah. A lot of the time, I, I mean, you could put Deserby in the same category to a certain extent. I'm not sure you could because or, Brighton, I, I, mean, I think, I, are massively I'll, overachieving. In my opinion, I'll, I'll actually give a hot take. I think Deserby's a better manager than Arteta. Agreed. I'm not sure that's too hot a take, to be honest. No, I, I think that's. I think that's pretty fair. I, think I mean, it's pretty fair. he took a Sassuolo side, relatively bottom half the table to mid table, top half finishes. Um, he had a small short spell at Shakhtar before obviously what's going on in, in Ukraine. And then he's come to Brighton and he's arguably been an upgrade on Graham Potter. Yeah, and what a tough position that was to come into with Graham Potter, who was so revered at Brighton at the time. I, d- I don't think Deserby's a better manager than Graham Potter. I think this is hitting, this is this is arriving at a club, and I'm not trying to take away his credentials. I've just said that I think he's a better coach than Arteta is, and I st- I'll stand by those words. I think I've seen more from Deserby over the past six months than I've seen on Arteta in three years. To be honest with you, I think Arsenal are a side that do the basics really well, really well. I think they're a very well drilled side, but I I also think that they have. As the season's gone on, I think they've become easier to play against, and mm. I think sides have, have, have sort of found them out a little bit. But I think Graham Potter's achievements with Brighton, and if we if we go back a step further with Brighton and actually look at the work of the um, the coach there that was, oh my goodness me, his name's going to escape me now. Was it, it before the one before Potter? Possibly. Hutton. Yes, Chris, Chris Hutton, mm. who really did. And Mr. Barraclough and I were talking about this the other day, who really was the the guy that got Brighton up and running. And, and a bit like the Brighton equivalent of Nigel Pearson before that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Title yeah. winning season. Absolutely. Yes, very good with Leicester. And and he's come in uh, to Zerbi and I think he's picked up just a very, very, very good side. And I think mm. he's made astute signings. Um, in fact, he hasn't actually because um, Casado was a, was a Potter signing, wasn't he? Casado was a club signing. So I think Brighton work... Brighton are a very modern club. They work with the the sporting director who signs the players and the manager fits with the club philosophy. Um, so they're really Brighton signings and they've found a manager to co- a, a, a coach to coach them. That's the differential between the, the manager and the coach there. The coach is coaching the players who he's 
not given, but he's in in alignment with the sporting director. The manager has slightly a wider span of control. And that's my understanding of it. It's great insight. And just one more point on Arsenal because it does sound like we're getting on their backs. So I don't I don't mean to be like this. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated for Arsenal fans. Um, good friends of mine and, and family members are, are Arsenal fans, and I can see the disappointment on their faces. But I sense that they will get one more chance. And and the reason for that is because if you look at the London clubs in general at the moment, Tottenham. Uh, I mean, Tottenham need to start again, basically. Speaking of, sorry to interrupt you, this no, Tottenham starting and we will do a very quick rebuild in this in this episode for nice. Spurs. Nice. Um, so as you mentioned, sorry, please continue. You've got Spurs, we needed so to rebuild. Spurs need a complete rebuild. Chelsea, I, I hate, I don't think they've got much much more money to spend. I sense they'll probably have a crack at Osman, but I think they'll, they'll probably work with what they've got and they'll get Pochettino in who will be fantastic at dealing with the crux of what is a relatively young group of players. I think and they'll shift some of the experienced players out and as well as some of the youngsters that it hasn't quite worked with. I don't think they'll do much this summer. West Ham, I think they'll probably sell Declan Rice. He could end up at Arsenal himself. And I think West Ham will do the business they normally do, which which is astute business. They'll probably take... New manager? Uh, yeah, potentially. But I think they'll, they could take... They could take you know, good players from big clubs, West Ham, couldn't they? I'll use Scott McTominay as an example there, who could have still go to Newcastle. But Scott McTominay, Harry Maguire, yeah. Martial. That's the sort of business they will do. And so if you look at those clubs as being, uh, I don't know if I've forgotten anybody here, please correct me if I'm wrong, those four. Palace to a large extent, Brentford. Yeah, I, I, maybe not got the pulling power yet for the, the same crop of players. Um, I think Brent, that, Brentford, I think, are, dare I say it, um, the second biggest club in London at the moment. That's a that's a statement, J.K. Now that's a biggest. hot take. Yeah, that's a hot take. Uh, they're, the, they're the second best performing club in London at yeah, the moment. I think that's hard to argue with. That's that's. that's um, but I also think with. they're the second. Uh, based on that, they're the second biggest club in London at the moment, in terms of the way they run their run and. Uh, okay, I'll, I'm going to dissect that hot take in a moment. I want to come back to this hot take first, Mr. Jennings. Yeah, you said you think Arsenal have got one more chance. So, so I think. When do you think they have it? So I think this summer he'll he'll get one more go. You and honestly I, think that Arsenal can do better than Manchester City next season? I think that Arsenal. No, no, not at all. But I think the I think the Arsenal board will give him one more go. So right, I think Arteta. I, yeah. So I think okay. I, I think they'll put I think they'll put their money where their mouth is one one more time, and they'll say okay, let's try and now get you two or three players that you're after, and I can see them going for. Rice, Caicedo, potentially. I think both. they have they have to sign one of Rice or Caicedo yeah, to mount, I th- I to mount any kind of serious challenge. I think they need a centre back. I think they need a right back, and I think they probably need a, a, an attacking midfielder because I, for, for depth reasons, because Vieri hasn't done it, and I think Emil Smith Rowe is probably surplus to requirements now. And I think they'll 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 get one more go. And I think if Arteta doesn't do it, if he doesn't challenge again next year, heaven forbid they don't make top four. Which if we're being realistic there is a very high chance of that because I, I think he's been found out I don't mind saying that now you know stand by my statements I can see a top four next season of City United Newcastle potentially Chelsea Liverpool I mean are Arsenal going to do it again next year look at their form at the moment I don't know I don't know I think he gets one more go I'll ask both of you this question where do you two think Declan Rice is going to end up this summer because it does look more and more like he is going to move. That David Moyes is talking about it now, just a little bit by little bit. Mm. But it, it feels like 
after all these years of speculation, this could actually be the somewhere he goes. Where do you think he ends up if he does? Do you Ooh, first, um, thank you. I'm, I'm going to go Newcastle. Newcastle? And here's the rogue shout why. Um, I think he could do be a really good centre-back for Newcastle. They don't need a centre-back, mate. Uh, to replace Fabian Scher, I'd probably say they're going to go for a centre-back this summer. Um, I think Scher and Botman are like one of the best centre-back partnerships in the well, league. Scher looks like a, a greying Swiss banker at the moment, <laughs> not to play to a stereotype. <laughs> but um, And fun fact, I think he did work at a bank, so I'm not wrong. Um, I think he's going back there then. Possibly. Um, Newcastle will need a centre-back. Don't know what sound I just made there. I was trying to say Spurs again. Don't know why. Hashtag Spursy. Um, Newcastle will need a centre-back. I think they'll need a midfielder as well. If they get Declan Rice, they'll push Guimaraes further. And then you can have a midfielder of Guimaraes, Joelinton and Declan Rice. And then Willock sort of transitioning in. Then Rice could also give you an option at centre-back. And if you look at Rice's ball-carrying uh, qualities, those could be further enhanced at centre-back because he could bring the ball out. Um, I'll play devil's advocate here, JK. Do you think Rice would take a move to another club just to play centre-back? I think he'd start in midfield, but he could also do a really good job at centre-back. So here's, here's my take. He will only go to a Champions League side. I think he's a Chelsea boy. I think he's probably a Chelsea fan. And I think there's always going to be that lure. But I think Chelsea, where they're finishing this season, will perhaps make that a a less attractive proposition. I think he goes to United, Arsenal, um, probably one of the two. And I think the price for Declan Rice is such that West Ham will probably be open to players in exchange. And I think what makes United a possibility, although I think he probably still goes to Arsenal, um, is that I think the likes of McTominay, the likes of Maguire, are players that could go and do a really good job at a club like West Ham. And... Declan Rice moving back the other way just makes a, makes more sense. Um, so some something something along those lines, I think, is probably most likely. Worth bearing in mind as well, this, yeah. this, I think, will be the first summer where clubs are really more hamstrung than ever by financial fair play. Yes. They're going to have to sell very well to be able to afford players. And we could be looking at, a, we could be looking at both Liverpool and Chelsea being outside of the Champions League places. Mm-hmm. And you look at McAllister at Brighton as well, who looks a shoe-in for Liverpool. If they don't get Champions League football, which at the moment you'd have to say is still unlikely based on the points on the board situation, um, I can see Man United possibly being an option. But I would, I would rather Caicedo for Man United, I have to say. I've got a take. I think McAllister goes to Atletico Madrid. You think he goes abroad? I, I think McAllister to Atletico Madrid would make perfect sense. Um got Rodrigo De Paul who's ageing. You've got Coque who's done really, really well for Atletico Madrid. He's a club legend, but then he's also phasing out. You've got Lamar who's coming to the sort of 28, 27, 28-ish. So that's that's why I think McAllister would be really, really good in La Liga. And therefore, I would say it, it would be a no-brainer if I was him to go to Atletico Madrid. Um practically speaking, because Madrid, nice weather, better weather than, than any of the northern teams. And you're in a country where 
you speak your first language, the culture is very similar. So yeah, I think I, I can see that actually. I, the only thing that I, the only thing that goes against that is style of play. So you're going from playing for Argentina and Brighton, free flowing attacking sides to Atletico Madrid, who are going to sit with a five man midfield, you know, and, and and sit off of teams. And although he's got the ten, I know what you mean about him as a player. He's got the tenacity. He's got the he, he's a bit of um he can play two or three positions. He he would fit really nicely. I like the comparison with Rodrigo de Paul or whoever, who I think is, I think is a player you probably play alongside McAllister. Um, but also we shouldn't forget actually the Argentine side that won the World Cup was built on that on a five man three man defense with the, with that five man midfield, um, and actually I would see very it'd be very similar, and that should be a good transition for McAllister going from Atletico Madrid to Argentina. Obviously got Cholo Simeone as well, so that would be something to look out for. Um, I want to raise some quick dark horses before we go into predictions. Uh, I think Aston Villa will have the best transfer window. They're getting Matteo Alemani from Barcelona, who's proven to be a shrewd operator. Um, they have the budget. They've got Unai Emery, who I think they'll get Conference League football or be there and there, there or thereabouts. You think they'll get Conference League football? Yeah, you, uh, the Europa, UEFA Europa mm. Conference League. Um, I think that's a very... It goes down to seventh this year, doesn't it? I think it'll be Liverpool, Brighton, then Villa. I think Spurs will finish eighth. I mean, yeah, they've got exactly the same record thus far with Tottenham on two better goal difference. Um, Sorry, Chelsea are 12th. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The 12th? 11th. 11th, sorry. On goal difference. Then they have a game in hand on Palace, but... um, 11th on goals. Wait, hang on. What are goal they? Difference, on... Goal, goal difference. Goal difference. It's minus five, minus nine. Oh, it is. Yes, it is. Yes. Um, but, oh, I don't know. I I still fancy Spurs to get that last spot. I don't think... I don't think they'll have got... I don't actually know what both clubs' uh, remaining running is at this point, to be honest. I can tell you now. So, um, Villa. Liverpool. Which I'm hoping Liverpool will win. And then they've got Brighton. You're hoping Liverpool would home. win? So, sorry, I'm hoping Villa win. I don't yeah. know what I'm saying. Um, no, I, I don't I, either. I, no, sorry. <laughs> sorry, everybody. Uh, I think, yeah, Villa, Villa away to Liverpool. That, that would be a good game. And then they're at home to Brighton. So that, that's pretty tough. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a tough one. And then Spurs have got Brentford at home. <laughs> and then Leeds away. They have also got the toughest opposition of all themselves <laughs> very good leads away is going to be tough that's going to be really hard um but let's get into these weekend predictions um mr ferguson are you ready uh i can be in just a moment uh, <laughs> uh I, i'll be honest i thought we were doing midweek predictions so uh, uh midweek we got uh got it covered i think yeah uh, got- actually let's start with midweek very quickly uh mr jennings champions league inter against milan Really tough game's cool because I was expecting Milan to be much, much better in the first leg and they were blown away by Inter in the first half, but Milan did grow into it. I think this will be a really good game again. I think this will finish a draw um, and I'm going to say that it will finish. I'll go one all tonight. Uh, Then City-Real Madrid. I think Madrid will win this game and I will say that Madrid will win it 2-1. Europa League, Sevilla-Juventus, Leverkusen-Roma. Uh, Severe beat Juventus 
I think 1-0 and Leverkusen Roma yep. yeah at, at the Bay Arena I think it's 0-0 nil, nil, nil written all over it and, and then Roma go through yeah um, let's move on to Premier League this weekend. Uh, just one quick, more quickly. We've got Sevilla Juventus as well. Uh, we, Mr. Jenny said 1-0. One one nil. Nil. Oh, you, oh, you've got 1-0 for that for yeah. Sevilla. Yeah. Please. Thank, Thank you. Uh, and then quick fire through all of these just predictions. Spurs-Brentford. Mr. Jennings, we'll start off with you. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, Spurs-Brentford. 2-0 Brentford. Mr. Ferguson. Uh, I, As I... Type the wrong name into this form. Uh, uh, what did you have, Soy? 2 0. 2 0. There we go. Okay, I'm finally getting back to it. Um, oh, I'm going to go for a dour 0 0, I think. Oh, I actually took my prediction there, but I'm going to go 1 <laughs> 0 Brentford. Uh, Wolves Everton. Mr. Ferguson. Um, oh, can you really predict Everton to win at this point in the season? <laughs> yes, you can. I think, I'm, I think they're going to do it 1 <laughs> 0. <laughs> uh, oh goodness me 2-1 two, two, Everton 1-0 Wolves Liverpool Villa Check out the shores 1-1 one, one. I'll say it'll be 2-1 Villa I'm going to go for a 3-3 three, three goal fest <sighs> Nice Mr Jennings Bournemouth United uh, Manchester United 3 Bournemouth 1 Mr Ferguson uh, as I uh, no, I'm not even going to bother. Don't have time to look at the predictions uh, at the table. I'm going to go for two nil United. Uh, I'll go three nil United. Uh, David Dea to outright win the Golden Glove. Uh, Fulham Palace. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll Fulham home win two nil. Yeah, three three. Oh, in fact, Ooh. yeah, three two, three, three two Fulham. Two. Uh, I'm going to go 4-4. Four, four. Goodness me. Uh, Forest Arsenal. I, I'm i going to take this one. Um, <laughs> so I'm just going to need those predictions again because I've messed this form up. <laughs> uh, Palace, I said 4-4. Four, four. Mr Jennings, you said 3-2 three, three, Fulham. 3-2 three, Fulham. Fulham. Thank you. Thanks for doing this, sir. That's okay. Uh, I'm going to go 2-1 Forest. <laughs> um, <laughs> They're at home. That, that That's... Yeah, it's going to have goals in it, isn't it? I think both teams are going to score. 3-2 Forest. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, Ferguson. so we've got 3-2 Forest. We've got... 2-1 Forest. 2-1 Forest. You're all nuts. <laughs> You're all on... You're going for an Arsenal win, right? Yes, of course I'm going for an <laughs> Arsenal win. Uh, I've, I've got them 2-0. Uh, West Ham leads. This is a massive game. This is a huge game. Um, but and I think Leeds win it I think Leeds are going to do it 2-1 uh, Leeds oh, uh, Mr Ferguson Mr Jennings you're daft Leeds away really <laughs> Big Sam 3-0 West Ham 1-0 uh, West Ham uh, Brighton Southampton Mr Ferguson what a Southampton pick, got pick, to pick a number <laughs> <laughs> pick a number um Okay, I'm going to pick a number. Six. Wow. Okay, I'll go five. Uh, I'll go seven one. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> well, this is really inspiring confidence <laughs> in any Southampton fans. Yeah. Uh, Man City, Chelsea. I'm going to go for 4-1 Manchester City. Oh, you've actually you've taken my pick there, annoyingly. 3-0. <laughs> yeah. um, 
off the back of a tricky midweek Champions League fixture, I think this is going to be a draw. And just to make the final weekend interesting, although I've said Arsenal are going to lose, uh, I'll, I'll go 2 all. Two all. And then quick midweek fixtures before we go around the rest of the games in Europe. Uh, Newcastle-Leicester. Uh, I've I've got Newcastle to do the business 3-1. Uh, yeah, Newcastle 2-0. Uh, I'll go 4-1. Uh, Brighton City. Uh, who's going first? Am I going first here? Yep. I'm going first. Uh, let's go for a... I think this could be where they trip up. Uh, let's go... Actually, let's go 2-1 Brighton. Oof, goodness me. Yeah, this is a this is a banana skin, isn't it? Mm. Um, okay, I'm going to say it's going to be 2-0 City. 3-2 Brighton. <sighs> wow. Uh, then United-Chelsea at Old Trafford. Uh, I'm going to go 3-1 United. Yeah, 2-0 two, two United. Um, I hate to burst the bubble. It's a down nil nil this one. The most drawn fixture in the top six as we see Mr Jennings head off. Um, he walks away with his little... his little. What's that little traveller's bag that you've got? The, the little net that's on the end of the stick. Sack. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's called a sack, isn't it? He's got it heaved over his shoulder. He's trudging away. I can see his downcast, slumped figure outside the window. Mr. We'll Ferguson, you. the author. Um, <laughs> right, let's do a game that I'm going to be at. Bayern Leip- uh, Leipzig. Woohoo. Uh, on Saturday um, at half five. You'll hopefully in next week's episode, you'll get some close analysis. From me, it's I always will... it's always different being at a game and being able to do the analysis there because you do getting more than just the TV pictures is such a huge part of that. True, because you, you get the off see, the ball runs. Yeah, you get to see off the ball runs. You get to see positioning and defensive shape. I think more than anything else as well. I I completely agree. Um, this could be a banana skin for Bayern Munich because even though they're playing at home, well Leipzig a third. Bayern are only a point ahead of Dortmund. And if Bayern drop points, Dortmund are going to be hot on their heels. Mm. Granted, Dortmund are at Augsburg, which is a very, very tough fixture. <laughs> Extremely tough. Um, Bayern Leipzig. Do you want to, do you want to go first? Uh, sure, I'll go first. I, I really don't see how this can be a banana skin for Bayern. I think they are just too in control of this. It's going to be 3-0 Bayern. Uh, I'm going to go 2-2. Then we'll take La Liga, Barcelona Sociedad. Barcelona having won the league last weekend at Espanyol, their local city rivals. Um, and what, for the record, we should just we should just go on record here and say that what we saw from the Espanyol fans at the end of the game was absolutely not on. Yes, the, that, was, that is um, that is correct. That was not that was unsavory and frankly pretty disgraceful scenes from the from those ultras. True. But they're ultras at the end of the day, and the last thing you want to see is imagine if you had Liverpool celebrating the title at Man United. Well, I mean, but we've we've seen it handled with grace before. We well, I say with grace, with with uh, with reserved grace when uh, Robin van Persie went back to Arsenal and got the guard of honour after United had won the the league. True. No, you you can handle it with so much more grace than that. Um, I I agree. But 
Well, what's happened's happened. But yes, Barcelona Sociedad. Um, are, are Barcelona going to trigger the in uh, Napoli and potentially be hung over? Or because La Real will give them a tough time, I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw. Yeah, I don't think that's a bad call. I, I Sociedad are going to get top four. They are five points ahead of Villarreal. They've got four games left. Um... Real Madrid will wrap up second, in my opinion. Yeah. And then you will have Atletico and Sociedad. Yeah. I, I think it's a very astute prediction, one all, and I would have gone for it. And I, I feel so strongly it's going to be one all. I actually don't want to predict any other any other score draws or non-score draws. That's how strongly I feel it will be a 1-1. But for the sake of predictions, I'm going to take a 1-0 Barcelona win. Let's go to Valencia-Real Madrid. Um, Real Madrid at the Mestalla in Valencia. Valencia are now what looks to be... Well, they're not really that safe, actually. They're only three points off the drop. Um, Real Madrid with much to prove, I would say, after losses to Girona, obviously to be Hetafe, but losses to Sociedad and Girona in the past couple of weeks. Who are you taking here, Mr Ferguson? I'm taking Madrid. I think they are going to be angry. At this point, after Barcelona won the league, not that they really had a chance of catching them up, to be honest, and they haven't really had one for many, many weeks now. But I, I would say since the first El Clasico, Madrid looked in pole position and then just sort of gone downhill. Yeah, and, and I, but I think that the confirmation of it this week will be enough for Madrid to kind of snap out of it a little bit and and go, oh, hang on, actually, what are we doing here? But then again. Madrid have won. So Barcelona won the league since 2019. You've had Atletico Madrid winning it once since then, and then Madrid have won it twice. So Madrid have won two La Liga titles in in four years, and yeah, they're going to be really really annoyed. I mean, they've only got 22 wins this season in La Liga. Barcelona have got 27. Um, Tostegan is probably going to break the record for least goals conceded. With I mean. They've conceded 13 this season. which 13 is... across a league season is outrageous. Atletico have conceded 27. Madrid has conceded 32, which is still less than a goal a game. But the best defence is obviously Barcelona with 13. Um, so I'm, uh, that's all to say I'm going to go 2-1 to Real Madrid. Yeah, uh, I think that's entirely understandable. And then we've got the Seville derby, Sevilla against Real Betis. Real Betis. Sevilla need the wins. I mean, they're 10th. They're relatively safe. So actually, I'm going to go 2 1 Betis win. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, actually. So I, I actually went on holiday to Seville uh, back in November uh, over one of the college half terms. And it was really interesting. While I was in the city, looking at, seeing the disparity between the Sevilla support and the Betis support. Um, and I think the Betis have more fight in them than Sevilla. In in the league, anyway. Obviously, we've waxed lyrical about Sevilla as a Europa yeah. League side. But I think in terms of the league, I think Betis have... Not to put too fine a lingo on it, they have that dog in them. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm going to take a 2-0 Betis win. Moving on to League R, where... Dare I say PSG may be bottling the league. Mm. This, I mean, six points out of Lons. So if I've, Lons win the league, 
Um, that would be sensational. That would be incredible. So I'm just going to jump back to something. We were talking a moment ago about Barcelona's uh, goals conceded. Out of curiosity, I've just looked up Arsenal's Invincibles season yep. from 2003-04. They conceded 26 goals in that season. Barcelona have conceded half of what Arsenal managed in an unbeaten season. That's how outrageous that statistic is. They've still got is. four games left. They do, but I do don't see they're the going to see 13 in that, in no that time. No chance. I mean, if you look at Barcelona... I don't know what the biggest loss they've had this season is, but... It, You'd be amazed if it was by more than one or two goals. Well, obviously, they got hammered by Madrid in the Copa del Rey. Um, yeah, and I suppose that won't count towards the, the league table. But I mean, they conceded two at Espanyol. Um, they lost to Real Vallecano, who I'm actually going to be seeing in a couple of weeks' time. Um, they the heaviest defeat. I mean, yeah, recently they haven't lost that many games. They've... Arguably, the most goals are conceded is the two to Vallecano and Espanyol. So, mm. um, League, oh, League de Talent as it's sold. Um, PSG Auxerre, just predict a PSG game and get it over and done with. Uh, I can't say anything, but I'm gonna go 5 0 PSG. 5 0 PSG. Uh, do you know where Auxerre are on the table? Uh, 16th 16th, okay And bear in mind I think it's four Going down from Liga on this season mm. Two coming up Yes, of course Because they're reverting to an 18-team League League, aren't they? Yes um, Oh, if it was If it was anyone Higher in the table than Orcs there I, I would actually predict PSG not to win this game As it is I think they're going to Scrape a 1-0 I... PSG are a team lacking fluency at the moment. PSG are a team who can win 5-0 the other week and then lose 1-0. I mean, it's yeah. just, let's call them the rich French Spurs, shall we? <laughs> um, moving on to Serie A this weekend, we've got Napoli against Inter. Uh, Inter have already beaten Napoli this season. It's at the Maradona. Do we see anything... I mean, edge of Inter down to win, but uh, what well, are your I, I think I think this is a really tricky fixture to predict right now, without knowing what's going to happen in the Champions League semi-final. I mean, I'll it's, go two, two very, I'll go two two right away. So. It is very difficult. Um, so we're just getting distracted. There's men in high vises outside. All right, and we should be up. Back, and... I think we are. Yep. Yeah, I can. I yep. can see movement. We're up and running again. Um, yeah, sorry, we got distracted. This is the day that the um, that our building's currently being uh, surveyed by uh, builders because this is going to be the location of the new sixth form centre. Uh, oh. So they need to knock this building down. So, so, where, so can... where will the studio be now? Uh, well, that's the that's the big question. Uh, space is, of course, at a premium in here, so uh, we're working it out. There's there's currently a few plans, but I wouldn't want to prejudice anything by saying on here. Um, let's go 2-2. I'm going to go Napoli into 2-2. Yeah, like I said, before we, uh, before that, that yeah. you won't have heard on here because we paused the recording. Yeah. Um, we, it's really difficult to, to predict this one without knowing how in to do in midweek. I think without that knowledge, I'm going to predict a, oh no, I don't think Inter will win either way. I'm going to go 2-1 Napoli. 
Interesting. Pardon the pun. Um, <laughs> any other games? Not really, because I think the top four race in in Serie A is going to be very interesting given Juventus's debacle. Well, yeah, because of course there's still the chance that they. I think they've got a hearing in six days. Yeah, they they may like. still end up. Because if they get the fifteen points deducted as of right now, they would be eighth. Yeah, that would mean Inter would go to second, Lazio go to third, Milan clinch fourth, Roma fifth, Atlanta sixth, Atalanta sixth, Torino up to seventh. Sorry, uh, Juventus. Sorry, uh, Atalanta up to sixth, and Juventus would actually be seventh. Um, so it looks like unless. You, if Juventus's points deduction is finally well re over it's over overturned, um, unless they're in the Europa League, they ain't conference league football at best. Yeah, it, it's a real um, that's going to make everything. I think it's it's motivated all the other teams in that sort of similar position to know that they just need to be within fifteen points of Juventus. Fifteen points is huge in True. league terms. Five wins. Oh, yeah, that, that's that is That's massive. So... Because then you could just go up a place. Yeah, and one place makes such a difference, not just in terms of Europe, in terms of prize money as well. True. And that could also mean, obviously, obviously, if Roma do win the Europa League, as many people are suggesting, it doesn't really matter where they finish in the league. No. I think Mourinho's identified that as well, but they have to get past that amazing Leverkusen. Yeah. Um... Just for a non-top five league prediction, we've got Sporting against Benfica this weekend, ah. and I'll be in the stands for that one as well. Uh, it's <laughs> a half a kickoff. This is your European, um, sub- not sabbatical. What's the uh, the pilgrimage called? Uh, oh, it's a European for pilgrimage. The yeah, end of the day. European pilgrimage. Um, Benfica four points clear of Porto. Um, they are thirteen clear of Sporting. This is a an eighteen team league. This is the penultimate game of the season. Um, so if Benfica do win and Porto do drop points at some in some way, Porto actually playing before Benfica this weekend. So dare I say it, Benfica could clinch the title. They could, and uh, I, I think they will at some point. Actually, this could be the weekend if Benfica beats Sporting. In Porto, let's say get a draw at Famalicão. Um, Benfica are champions. Mm-hmm. Benfica will be champions yeah. at, at their city rivals. Name a better script you could write than that. Um, sporting a fourth with a, a whopping 20 points ahead of fifth place Guimarães. They're four behind Braga, who have sort of fallen off a little bit because they were fighting against Porto for second place. Mm. Um Ah, what do you, I'm gonna go. I, I have to go a two two one Benfica win. Uh, this to me has it screams out vigorously to me that this is going to be sporting. It, it, it's like a like a boxer who's about to get knocked out going for one last haymaker. <laughs> um, I, I I do think Sporting will will win this. I think this will be an incredibly feisty game. Um, and I think Sporting will win it 2-1. It's at the Avalad, it's at Sporting as well, so... Mm. If, it, if it was at Benfica, I would absolutely not make that prediction. 
Um, but then again, Benfica are going to play Santa Clara after that, who are bottom mm. at home, who have only got 19 points this season. Oh. It's an 18 team league. Um, and then Porto would have to go to Guimarães. So I think Benfica, Benfica would win the league. Mm. They made it harder on themselves for no reason, practically because, well, they lost to Porto and they shouldn't have. Um, yeah, they lost 2-1 to Porto at home. Mm. And yeah, I, they've, I, they've smashed everybody else in the league. The last game between Porto and... Uh, sorry, Benfica and Sporting was a 2 all draw. Um, but yeah, actually, in terms of ticketing, this is where I think I prefer Europe to the UK. Uh, my tickets are under 50 euros. Yeah, there's... a the game of this magnitude. There is a great deal... And this is this is why I brought up a few weeks ago the football white paper, because it it was a big issue at the time um, when it came out because it had such a wide scope. Of course, we've in years to come since then, since it was first announced, and it was years ago now, we've kind of focused on the management and the ownership aspect of football clubs and foreign investment and its influence on the Premier League. Yep. But the white paper has a much larger scope than that, assuming it ever gets published. And that scope includes looking mm. at ticket prices. It includes looking at accessibility. It includes scheduling and policing. It includes um, it includes wages and salaries as well, I believe, um, potentially limiting how much someone, someone can be spending. It potentially... Uh, no, It'd be an outside suggestion, but it might uh, enforce that employers pay the living wage rather than the minimum wage to its employees. There are there are many, many, many ramifications for this, which is why I think football clubs are so nervous about it coming out and why they wanted the Premier League to take the front foot and do some of those things themselves to save them from the other things. Mm. So, for example, we've seen the ban on uh, gambling advertisement uh, that is on the front of shirts. That's something coming in to play in 2026. So yeah, it, it's a while face. off, um, but it's something that they've announced. The more things the Premier League announces, the less need, quote-unquote, there is for a white paper to be legislated. Because the white paper, whenever it comes out in whatever, it, whatever form it takes, will be much more stringent than anything that the Premier League and the clubs will voluntarily sign up to. Ticket pricing is one of those things. Like you said, European football is much, much more accessible in terms of ticket pricing, whereas Premier League ticket prices are, by and large, very, very expensive. I've done a couple of Europa League and Champions League games, actually, uh, with Manchester United, uh, and I bought my tickets while I was at university through the Students' Union, and those tickets were... Admittedly, not they were not in a, a particularly good spot. Um, they were they were heavily discounted down to about thirty five pounds each. Yeah, thirty five euros is what I'm what I'm getting. Yeah, my but that, that's my point though. Those tickets were discounted because they were being they were being sold underneath the already discounted student price yeah. to the students' union, who then sold them directly on. Now it, it's a really it's an expensive business going and supporting a football club. Yeah. And then that's not even thinking about the travel you've got to pay to get there. If it's a late night game, you might have to pay, pay for accommodation or pay for 
on peak travel times True. on the on the trains for example you might have to pay for match day parking if you brought the car and then you'd have to pay for petrol as well yeah it's it's incredibly incredibly expensive and that's why i think there is such there is such a strong feeling about it because it's okay if, I, I also want to quickly draw this on to broadcast rights as well broadcast rights in the uk are a bit of a mess at the moment because you can't you can't purchase the rights to see every game. No, by design. Uh, the 3pm blackout is is a thing that's existed for many, many years, and I, I don't have an issue with the 3pm blackout. Um, I think it's a piece of tradition that is fine to keep. I don't like when they move games from 3pm and keep the blackout on those games. Yeah, that's an that issue. That doesn't make sense. And I don't like that, but that's neither but here nor it's there. Quite, it's ironic, though, that obviously people around the world can watch those 3pm games, but... Yeah, uh, no. USA, for example, have the rights to every single Premier League game, I believe. So, so do India. So, so do France. In, yeah. I mean, I was half convinced for certain three PM games, I'd just go to France for the day and watch the game. <laughs> um, nice... That would probably be cheaper than going it, to this. Well, it probably would because you could get a flight there for what some forty something quid, I think. Yeah. If you if you book it at the right right time, and then you just go somewhere to well see the game, yeah, like a bar or something. Yeah, go then. go to a bar, have a drink while you're there, and then boom, and then you're sorted. But it's okay if the book it okay I'm, I'm using that word loosely it's okay if the if you have to pay that much to purchase a subscription for sky for bt for whoever else Amazon I, I, Prime, I, I, I think, I think the future is in terms of broadcasting right sorry to interrupt you i think the future is pre- i think the the premier league efl um will have to will come together especially with the fa cup as well and they have to go direct to consumer. Mm. Um, Premier League already have a productions team. Um, I'm sure if you've seen many interviews, etc., that they could mm. have a more prominent role. And then if you essentially sell a, a Premier League, an English football bundle to subscribers using the subscription model mm. and go direct to consumer, there's much more profit to be made there. And I think you make all these sensationalist pundits redundant. Um, as a result, I think you, I think you're direct to consumer. You can have some commentary in different languages, mm. um, and yeah, just just give us the game. Yeah. We don't want the the preamble break breakdown. Uh, of course, uh, give with, us the match the manager interviews, and that's pretty much it. That's the issue with that, of course, is that they then don't get the money from the broadcasters that they're paid for those rights, which is a lot of money. They just get it from the consumers, well, and it'll ho- probably be cheaper. They do, yeah, and it'll be um, cheaper because for for the consumer itself, and the Premier League would probably make a killing. I think they could three, four times. I, their, I'd be their surprised if it's not something they've investigated. But bringing it back to my point, the the broadcast rights. You know, if you're purchasing a bundle for Sky, for BT, for Amazon, for Apple, if they get into Premier League streaming, which I think they they've will already, at some point. they've already gone into the MLS. So yeah, exactly. I, I think they will get into it at some point. It's okay, in a sense, to have that option if you also have the option of being able to go and see your club. The prices as they are, you almost don't have either option now. You know, you can't see your team for monetary reasons, either in the stadium or on the TV or on a laptop. I mean, I was, I'm just quick joke, insert joke here. Um, I was half joking to someone saying that. Oh, wouldn't it be really good to have standstill traffic on the M4 
because Brentford have a screen which faces the M4. <laughs> so if you're just in standstill traffic, you you get a towel out, you go on the front of your car, and you just watch a free Brentford game. You could have it like um like like selling tickets to Glastonbury. True. You could just open a big field somewhere and stick a massive screen in it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I think I think there's a real need for people so to, to there's something that. needs to be done about yeah about that um, um I, also, I, don't, I don't even know why, how do we get onto the white paper um we talked about, oh, you were talking about yeah you were talking about your lovely european ticket prices yep um although i'm <laughs> the europa league price is ridiculous but <laughs> far it's a final at the end of the day yeah uh we haven't done this this season but let's go for a conference league prediction Ooh. uh rz against west ham and then basel against fiorentina um and I think the the final the final is hang on let's see twenty twenty three it's on the seventh of June in Prague. Okay. Again, could I be going to that game? Most likely not, but let's see. Um, um yeah, I'll I don't want to watch West Ham first. or Fiorentina. Um, <laughs> Alkmaar against West Ham. Alkmaar at home. Um, what's the? It's two one West Ham. I'm two one sure. West Ham at the moment. Is it? Like that sounds. I thought they might have drawn in the first leg, but. Um, I think I'm gonna go one nil. Uh, I think we're gonna one one actually. Yeah, I think one one's a very sensible prediction. I am just gonna absolutely make sure that it would definitely was a draw. Also, uh, I think Alkmaar yeah. have a synthetic. Have a synthetic pitch. Oh, do they? Alkmaar oh, that's interesting. Pitch. I think they. Do they have a. Yeah, so. Four. Almost four years ago, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer slammed Alkmaar's pitch as one of the worst. Um, oh, yes. Now you bring that up, I do remember that synthetic pitch, actually. No, it, it wasn't particularly good for football, that one, I didn't think. Um. um yeah, I I think our draw is a very sensible prediction here. Um, I'm actually going to take a one nil West Ham win. I think they're going to hold fast and hit them on the break at some point. Then there's the interesting one: Basel against Fiorentina. Basel have a two. Yeah, one. they do. Are we going to see um, some Swiss gloss, a chocolatey go- gloss? Again, playing out the stereotypes there, but, but doesn't really I, I think that... Or do La Viola have too much? I think they do. I think they've... Will they've Lu- been embarrassed Luka once. Jovic win the Conference League? <laughs> I, I think Fiorentina have got too much. Basel are an underrated footballing side, make no mistake. But I think Fiorentina will not make the same mistakes they made last game. I think they will win it 3-1. I think what they'll actually do is they will go... 3-0 up, Basel will pull one back and then won't be able to get the last goal. Hmm. I'll go 2-0 Fiorentina. Okay. Now I just want to highlight something. The Champions League format is changing from the season after next. So next season will be the last form of the Champions League mm. as we know it. I think the f- was um, Champions... When were Marseille cha- OM Champions... Oh, sorry, 92-93 might have been that first. Yep, yep. So Marseille, that was the first. No, gosh, 1992 was a, a landmark year for football. It was, yeah. Premier League, new Champions League format. So that's this format's been around for 
30 years. And uh, yeah, next season from 2024-25, it's going to change. So I think England might get an additional Champions League place. Um, it, and then possibly yes, it's it, it's a little. Uh, I'm I'm still trying to wrap my head around it uh, at the moment, um, because I've actually I've got the uh, I've got the BBC Sport article up as well. Yeah, and I've got the UEFA press release about it. Um, so two will two of the four extra places will be awarded in the format of a country's club in Europe over the previous season. Oh, so it's just based on coefficient, I think. Um, uh, yeah, so this a lot of this comes down to national coefficients, yeah. um, which is a ranking of how well a nas- a club nationality has done in European seasons gone by, uh, recent European seasons. I believe it's the last three or five. Let's have a look at these coefficients. Um, so, we've got England, who are around 16, 15, 16,000 points ahead. Um, you've got Spain in second, you've got Germany in third, Italy in fourth. I think Italy will go up above Germany this season, after next season, actually. Because um, they got... Hang on. What have I done here? Let's go points. <laughs> um, Italy have Juventus, Roma, Inter and Milan. They've had four teams in, semifin- in semi-finals. Oh, five, sorry. Five out of... Um, Five teams across European competitions. And, I mean, realistically, we could see all Italian winners, Italian winners in all three, which would be remarkable for Italian football. Um, then you've got Portugal, who are about 3,600-odd behind the Netherlands, and they're way above Belgium, like 14,000 points above Belgium. Then you've got... Sort of, then there's Scotland, then Austria, then Serbia, then blah, 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 blah. Um, and actually, I wanted to say this. The Kazakhstani League is above the Irish League. Really? Irish League is 36. That's surprising, considering how much... Talent. How often we, how often we see Irish teams going through um, the Europa League and Champions League... Uh, knockout stage, uh, not knockout, uh, qualifying stages. It is. Um, and actually, Scotland is also above Serbia somehow. Um, I'm, I'm less surprised by that because of the good performance, primarily of Celtic. True. It's, it's one club kind of pulling everyone else up behind them. In terms of any changes in the future, I see Portugal, because the gap between France and the Netherlands is actually very, very small. It's around... 11, 1200 points. You could see France losing a place. Yeah, especially if, if there Alkmaar, is. If Alkmaar win, France could. If Alkmaar win the, Europe, uh, the Conference League, France could lose a place. I'm not even sure it depends that much on Alkmaar. I think PSG are nearing the end of their dynasty. Um, Lens, Marseille, they have to really. They'd have to put in some serious work to, to match the coefficient that PSG has provided the French League. Um, I I agree, and the pre- the Premier League England, um, I mean, they're so far, so far above. I mean, let's have a look at it in twenty twelve, for example. Spain was top in twenty twelve, um, by six thousand points. And this was the real. England was top the season before. England, 
England. I mean, we could just have a look historically. England. England again. And obviously, if we go all the way, well, it's only the coefficient only started in 0203. We actually had Spain, Italy, then England. Yeah, and I could believe that based on the what I remember of those seasons. Yeah. And yeah. funny enough, the Greek league was sixth. Oh. Then, oh, of course, because they had that real. They had the um, the Athens team, AEK Athens, yeah, who were who were really good at that time. Uh, and then it was Spain for a bit. Spain again. Spain again. Italy. It was Italy and England swapping places essentially for second in the coefficients. Um, Spain again. And then England in 07-08, probably helped by Man United winning the Champions League mm-hmm. against Chelsea. And then you had England for a couple of years, about four years, and then Spain took over in 2012-13. Don't know why, can't remember why. Well, that will have been just after Barcelona won Champions League in 2011. But then Chelsea won the Champions League the season after. Maybe it's to do with semi-final, finals appearances, mm. I'm not sure. Then you had Spain for, well, four years. You had Germany in 15, 16. I was going to say, it, it feels like Germany would have jumped up to the top of that Germany time. was second um, for a couple of years. And then England came second again. And then the last time... So England has been, since post-COVID, England has topped uh, it. And Spain was second. And I think the the key behind that now, it's not necessarily that the English, the best English club, is better than any other club in the world. I think it's that there is uh, there's a strength and yeah. depth in the England squad. Yeah. So so every I've, I've actually sorry to interrupt. You, I've got the points system. So you get two points for winning each game in the group stage. Uh, one for qualifying, one for draws. Uh. Half a point for draws and qualifying and playoffs. Four for group stage participation. Four for round of 16. Four for winning a group. Two for being runners-up. This is Europa League, by the way, winners and runners-up. Uh, two in the Conference League for winning. One for runners-up. And then each round you go through from the round of 16, you get a point. That's for the Champions League and the Europa League. And one point from the semi-finals for the Conference League. Penalty shootouts do not count. Mm. Yeah, it's um, it's and actually um, you get akin to league. You get three points for a win in regular time or extra time, two points for a draw, and one point for a loss. And the coefficient is calculated by average score divided number of points obtained by the total number of clubs. So yeah, and that and that's why I think England are going to not be knocked off the top for a while because there's strength in depth in the top English clubs. They are so strong across the board. You have other leagues with one or two excellent teams. Spain, you have your Barcelona and Real Madrid. You have your Atletico and Sevilla as well, but they are, I don't think, on the same level. True. Italy have got the most clubs this season. They have the most clubs. Well, they have the most clubs that do well. Fiorentina could win... I mean, you have an Italian club that could potentially win every European competition yeah, this season. which you is have, you pretty could have special. One of the Milan clubs, you could have, it looks like it'll be Inter at the moment, but yep. uh, you could have Rome in the Europa League and you could have Fiorentina in the Conference League. But I don't think, and having two 
clubs from Milan in the semi-finals of the Champions League will massively help their coefficient. Yeah. I still don't think that will be enough. I think they'll not, topple Germany. I think they might topple they, Germany. I think they probably will. But remember, this isn't done season by season by season. They, I think there's waiting in terms of uh, the most the highest ratings for the season gone by. And then I think it goes down year on year for for up to three seasons or up to five seasons past. Yep. Uh, and actually, if we look at club coefficients now, and I think are we the we're the first podcast to actually break this down. I, I I've seen at least. I I I wouldn't deign to assume that. Well, one of the <laughs> we're one of the firsts. Um. So let's go in terms of. Let's go, from, oh four oh five when they had first had club coefficients. It was Real Madrid in first, then Valencia, then. AC Milan, Barcelona, Liverpool, and then Man United. So that was first to sixth. Then you had ooh, you had Milan, Barcelona, Madrid, Inter. So United have always been between sixth and seventh in these first, sixth and eighth in these first couple of seasons. Milan were top. Then as Milan again, I think they won the Champions League in 07. Um. Uh. Yes, that does sound right. United were eighth again, and then Chelsea in oh seven oh eight. Ironic. Uh, my United were fourth, obviously winning the Champions League. Then it was Barcelona for oh eight oh nine, because obviously it's based on the previous season. Mm. Barcelona again. I'm assuming who were top. Yep. Then United were second again. Twenty ten eleven. United were top actually. Yeah, and I think that came on the back of... Champions League final appearance. Yeah, it was Champions League win a couple of seasons ago, Champions League final that season. Yep, and um, then we'll also look at the 10-year coefficients after that. Yeah. And then we also have UEFA's how to read the ranking. Then 11-12, <laughs> um, Barcelona, Barcelona and United duopoly for a couple of seasons. Then I think Chelsea might have gone... Then United dropped to fifth. And for everyone who kind of who disparages coefficients as a, a you know a really a, a, as a way of sucking the soul out of the game, if you go back and think about that 2010, 2011 period, you couldn't really make an argument that Barcelona and Manchester United were not the two best clubs True. in the world at that time. Um, you had Benfica in fifth actually because they finished uh, in thirteen fourteen because they've been to many many finals and mm. lost all of them. Um. Then Real Madrid taking over for a couple of years. Benfica was sixth. Schalke was seventh. Um, Porto were above Man United, so were Arsenal. Don't know mm. how, but uh, that that was that. Atletico were top four because of their final appearances around this time. Then Real Madrid ruled supreme for a couple of years. Dortmund seventh in seventh in sixteen seventeen. Sevilla it was Real Atletico for seventeen eighteen. Uh, 18-19 when Atletico won the Europa League against Marseille it was and this is where Man City start creeping in mm. um, so Man City were 8th United were 12th at this point ironically above Chelsea um, and this is where Man City sort of ambush things because they go to 6th behind Juventus Atletico Bayern Barcelona and Real Madrid then Bayern go top of six they won the Champions League mm-hmm. in 1920 City is still sixth um, but this does really show how dominant Real Madrid have been in Europe yeah. 
Uh, and you, and you and like, the city third. Oh, I think you said the first time they went top was eleven twelve. I think so. It was about then. You know, funnily enough, it coincides with the beginning of the Galacticos era. The new, the new the, Galacticos. Yeah, era. the new Galacticos. Yeah. And then you had Bayern on top. Then you had Liverpool, Man City, Real Madrid, and then Chelsea were fifth. United were tenth. It's difficult to see when you're in the middle of a dynasty. True. You know, like for example, with when. When I was growing up with, with Pep's Barcelona, and especially because I was a Manchester United fan at that point, it was difficult to see that you were in the middle of it because yeah. you were so confident in your team beating them. You were like, yeah, we've got, we've got the source. We can do this. Yeah. And it's not until it's finished and gone and you can read about it in the history books that you look back and go, oh, wow, no, they were actually really, really yeah. good. Because uh, you look at it at the time, and I, I remember thinking, God, Busquets, no, he's not. He, he's not worth. He's not all that. Um, well, Messi, okay, yeah, Mess, Messi's a really good player, but we can shut him down. We've got Ji Sung Park. No, it's um, it's 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 only when you look back you kind of go, oh, mm, hang on, maybe I was a yeah. little hasty in all of that. And actually, I this is what I don't get. I think this is because Madrid have drawn a couple games, but Madrid are fifth in this season's coefficients. You are Man City top for the first time ever. You got Bayern. Then Chelsea, then Liverpool, then Real Madrid, then PSG. United are seventh, probably because we got to semi-final finals. Then Juventus, then Barcelona. Um, we went to a 10-year coefficients. So actually, how do these club coefficients work? So they're either the sum of the points won in the previous five years or the association coefficient over the same period, whichever is the higher. They've highlighted that in bold. Um, and... Champions League club coefficient points. Two wins for group stage onwards. Group stage onwards, draw, you go one point. Group stage participation, four points. Round of 16 participation, four points. Each round you reach from the round of 16 onwards, one point. Um, points are not eliminated in... Quali- uh, uh, not points are not awarded in elimination. For elimination qualifying, because then you can go to Europa League. Europa League. Two points for a win, group stage onwards, except the knockout round playoffs. One draw from group stage onwards, except for the knockout round playoffs. Four for group winners, two for rounds up, and then you get the you get the drill. And then conference league, you've got the one, one and a half, two, two and a half points, etc. And then association, we've already gone through that. Ten year coefficients. Uh, UEFA, you're gonna help us out here. Ooh. Oh, here we go. Oh, no. <laughs> they, nope, nope, they're, they're here, they're here, they're here. Um, so 10-year coefficients, so this is from the last 10 seasons. Um, So, yeah, going back to this one. Wow, there's a lot of clubs in Europe. This week, basically. I mean, actually, there's a lot. I'm just, out of curiosity, I'm scrolling through. There's going to be over 500 clubs in Europe. Oh is, yeah, yeah. Well, probably thousands. But yeah, this this table will be going back to the start, I believe, of the 2012-2013 season. Uh, if this is a 10-year coefficient. Yes. Um I actually I think they've just gone a bit lazy. They've just added all the points over the last 10 years. So Real Madrid at the top, then you got Bayern, then Barcelona, then Juventus, then Chelsea. Let's go. PSG, Man City 8th, 
Liverpool 9th, United 10th, then Sevilla, then Dortmund, Porto, Porto above Arsenal, uh, Benfica, Ajax, Shakhtar, all above Spurs. And uh, something that may surprise you is, well, Marseille haven't done well because they haven't been doing well in Europe in general. Where are Everton in this? Everton. Everton are 92nd. Burnley are above Everton. Somehow. Um, Wolves are... So, from 89th to 97th, you have West Ham, who are 89th. Wolves are 90th. Burnley, 91st. Everton, 92nd. Southampton, 93rd. Hull, 94th. Swansea 95th, Wigan 96th, and Newcastle 97th. Above teams like Rennes and Lask, who have been, and Sheriff and Union Berlin, who have been there more recently. Yeah, don't forget though, when you get down to those numbers, you're looking at the the league coefficient will be dragging some of these clubs up. True. They will not have played much European football at all, really, but they'll have had, you know, maybe one season in a European run where they might not have even made it past the group stage, but the league coefficient will have dragged them up True. the rest of the time. Um, and yeah, do you want to do the Spurs rebuild or...? Um, let's do it quickly, yeah. Let's do it quickly. Right, so... A Tottenham Hotspur. And I, I need to establish a ground rule immediately. Sure. Are we selling or keeping Harry Kane? Um, up to you, really. Okay. Uh, actually, hang on, hang on, hang on. What? I'll, I'll let you go for this one. And this one, I've actually brought out the pen and paper. Oh, he's brought pen and paper. Oh, look at him go. Right. Okay. There's there's work to do here. Obviously, there's work to do here. First of all, sell Hugo Luis. Second of all, keep Harry Kane. Hang on, you, hang on. Let's do our in. Yeah. So let's go. Spurs. He's writing it down. In, he's checking it twice. Out. And if you had Spurs trophy cabinet, you could shake it all about, but it'd just be air. Um, yep, Kane, I'd sell. You'd sell Kane? Lloris, yeah, 100%. Um, put Eric Dyer in there. Uh, you can have their squad here. Um, uh, Are you selling Kane to raise funds? Yes, part of it. I also do think they'll get investment. Um, if... Qatar don't get United. I think Qatar will probably try and buy Spurs. That's a huge... I mean it with very as little disrespect as I can to Tottenham. Manchester United to Tottenham, that's a huge downgrade for Qatar. It is, but think of the think of it from an investor's perspective. Um, I also think they'll get rid of Lo Celso and Dombele. Um, they'll get rid of Harry Regalon. Permanent lead, by the way. These are all permanents. Yeah. Uh, Winks will go. I think they'll reintegrate Jed Spence. Um, now for incomings, their leaves. So goalkeeper, right back, left back. First formation wise, uh, I'm actually going to say they're going to go for a three at the back, five at the back. Depends. Even so. Because who, who do you think is going to be managing them in, in the in next season? Uh, I think it'll be Ruben Amorim from Sporting. Okay. Uh, and then they'll go with three-man midfield with a 10. And then they'll go... Split strikers? Split strikers. 
Now, split strikers-wise, you've got Son. Um, or Richarlison. In terms of an attacking midfielder, they'll need to buy one. Uh, I'd probably put Kulusevski there. Kulusevski. Bentenko will start. And then they need another central midfielder for mm. sure. Right centre-back, I mean, Christian Romero. There you go. Left wing-back, you give Udoji a game because he's one of the best wing-backs in Europe. Right wing-back, you got Poro or Spence. Not really fussed who's there. Um, I'm actually getting rid of Lucas Moura. And then you can have Basuma as backup. Um, so I'm looking at central midfield striker, two centre-backs. Um... I'd actually get rid of Emerson as well um, because you've got Poro and Jed Spence. I'll also get rid of Skip just because gives me the creeps. Um, Tanganga, I'd keep as a backup. Um, no, g- genuinely, <laughs> Oliver Skip gives me the creeps. Don't know why. Um, <laughs> it's a weird thing to say, isn't it? But just gives me the creeps. Um... Also, just decent player, but uh, Hoiberg I'd keep as a backup, unless Chelsea want him. So I mean, Kane, Yuris, Dyer, Mora. I mean, Lacelso and Dombele, Regalon, Winks have all been out on loan. So you're really looking at three to five signings here. I can't say Grimaldo now because he's gone to Leverkusen. Um, goalkeeper, who are you going for, goalkeeper? Yeah, it's a. I mean, finding a top level goalkeeper is difficult at any point because they are they are so infrequent. Um, I'm not. I'm not even massively sure Tottenham needs an absolutely elite goalkeeper. I think they just need one who's less incident prone than Luis. So I. They might not even need to, you know, splash seventy million on Diogo Costa, for example. Uh, they're, they're never getting Diogo Costa. No, I don't think they are, but I don't think they. I don't think they need to. I think they just need someone who's more solid than that. Um, who am I thinking of when I think of solid goalkeepers? I mean, look, I'll say this: Kalo Navas would be a really, really good option for them. Yeah, yeah. For three, four years as a goalkeeper. You're not saying no to Keylor Navas. He'd be very, very cheap to get out of PSG. He's also still showing himself to be a little incident prone at times. He's a world-class keeper at the end of the day, though. Um, I mean, who else could you get for... I mean, Mamadishvili won't go there. I actually, hot take, want to see Amy Martinez at Man United next season. I think he'd add something really, really different to United. Big strong, just going to United. Big strong keeper, personality that helps as well. I mean, I'd go. Uh, Keylor Navas just seems like the most Spurs signing. They're going for fifteen, twenty it. million. I, I can see it. I don't. I mean, the obvious one bad. would be Dean Henderson as well, or Robert Sanchez. I th- yeah, Robert Sanchez. I think would be a good call. He is also a bit injury prone and a not injury prone, error prone. Yeah, there's. I yeah, I think that's my. But then again, he counts as homegrown. I think. Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. 
I'm che- I'm checking Robert Sanchez. But I don't think that you you want someone who's error prone. I think you I would be willing as a Tottenham manager to sacrifice a little bit of quality to get someone who is consistent. Yep, Robert Sanchez counts as homegrown. Fair enough. Um, he's been at Brighton since he was 15, 16. For actually, as I look through this Tottenham squad, how 15, many players sorry. here are homegrown? You've got Skip, you've got Kane, uh, Eric Dyer would count. Fraser Forster. Ryan um, Sessignon would count, I think. Yeah, he would. Um, Tanganga? Tanganga, yes. I can't remember if he was signed or if he was brought, he was brought up through the youth, wasn't yes, he? Yes, he was, he was. Um, got a couple ben key. Davies, maybe? Don't think so. Does Welsh, he not? Welsh. Uh, Alfie Whiteman, who's their backup keeper as well. Yeah. Um, so it's not, I think, it's not I an think absolute priority. A, a 10, a central midfielder, a striker, a left centre-back and a goalkeeper. A left-footed centre-back. I mean, left-footed centre-back, there's a shoe in here, Pau Torres. But I think he's going Villa. I think Pau Torres will go to Villa. That that's the real difficulty for Tottenham is not that they don't know who they need. It's can actually, they get them? Yeah, it's enticing them because they've had this reputation attached to them for so long. Yes, they they are a big club. I will not dispute that Tottenham are a big club, but they have a reputation of. There's a reason that being Spursy is a word. And I mean that with with no jest. There is a reason that being Spursy is a word, hmm. because they have developed a reputation of contriving to get themselves into difficult situations, which they might not necessarily be able to get back out of again. And I would, if I was a player, especially someone of Paul Torres's level, looking at clubs who want me in the summer, I would not want to look at that Tottenham side, because I would think. That's a team that has a collapse in them. Here's a shout for a left centre-back. Piero Incapié from Leverkusen. Or Max Kilman. Kilman feels like a very Tottenham signing, actually. Now you say that. Um, I'm just looking at left centre-backs in my head. No way Harry Maguire goes to Spurs. Um, <laughs> no, that doesn't quite feel right to me. Uh, Kil- Kilman, Kilman seems like a very, very Spurs signing. Yeah, and, and I think... He doesn't seem particularly error-prone from what I've seen of him. I actually he's, think he's, he's a very not, decent footballer. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say he's absolutely an elite centre-back, but I think he's still a very good centre-back, and a very good centre-back with few mistakes. That's actually a very valuable resource. And I think Spurs is another midfielder. I mean, I'll go... Here's, here's an idea. I'm going to say Edson Alvarez to Spurs. Okay. Well, actually, no, 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 no. I'm going to change my mind. Indeedy to Spurs. Indeedy to Spurs seems like a very Spurs sign. Uh, I'm less convinced by Kilman, but I do see what you mean. I, it it does make some degree of sense. K- Kil- Kilman Especially makes if Indeedy, who's currently at Leicester... Uh, yeah. If, if, I mean, Leicester look like they're going to go down at this point. Yeah. So he'll probably be available for a reasonable fee as well. I mean, you could go Kefran to uh the Turam brother at Nice, Kefran Turam. Yeah, um, he's also. I'm just looking at defensive midfielder options. They just happen to. Yeah, be I, th- I think Turam's actually a really good call. Um, Ndidi or Turam. Um, I think Turam would actually go to Liverpool though. Um, could yeah, it could well do. I think you'll be Benton on the right as a central midfielder. Um, 
Bentenko, Basuma, and then you can have Ndidi and Hoiberg. Again, Hoiberg and Bentenko are very, very similar. Basuma's not really worked out. But let's look at um, left centre-back. Yeah, I've gone Kilman or Incapier. We're looking for now as, as a central centre-back. As a more... Central in the five, yeah? Central in the five. Could also be a defensive midfielder. Mm. Um, I mean, if here's I'd... a a rogue, and this is a really rogue. Roger Banyas. I've got a rogue shout. The go match. on, Thiago Silva. <laughs> no way he leaves. Chelsea will need to get rid of players. Yeah, he's not. It's not happening with Thiago Silva. But uh, lots of other players they would need to get rid of are on much much longer contracts that will be very expensive to get out of. Mm. I think Thiago Silva, that would kill a large portion of their wage bill as well. It would free up money for them if they needed to make Thiago Silva's most likely going back to Brazil, though, at some point. Most likely. I don't think it'd be a dreadful move for Tottenham. Don't think For Chelsea the club, would... not Chelsea... necessarily for the player. Yeah, Chelsea wouldn't let that happen. Um, here's a rogue shot. I, never gonna... I was going to say Lewis Dunk. <laughs> I'll go with Banyas. Um... Moving on to... They need a number 10. Everyone needs a number 10. <laughs> um, and by the way, I'll just quickly ask you about this, JK, because I realise we are starting to run short on time here. Um, Rumours are that uh, Chelsea are interested in Victor Osman now. Uh, it's not happening. No, it feels it feels nonsense to me too. I mean, I mean, number 10, we can just go quickly. Madison is an option. Madison? As a 10? For Spurs, yes. I suppose in a split stroke, then who are you playing him with? Uh, it'll be... Well, I'm going to bring in a striker. It'll be Kulisevsky, Madison rotating as a 10. Kulisevsky could be the split striker as well. Uh, I think if you want Kulisevsky and Son as your split strikers, I think you want someone who's more of a physical presence than Madison, personally. Uh, I mean, I'd bring him in, because I think... I mean, you could look at a second striker Yeah, and it'd be good, in it'd the be good depth if, if yeah. he has to go down. Uh, I mean, you look. I've got to buy a striker in any case. Mm. Everyone needs a striker these days. Oh, this seems so Spurs. Actually, will this? Uh, you you could take part in the great money laundering conspiracy and sign Alvaro Morata. <laughs> For those of you who aren't aware, this this is a conspiracy theory online, which is completely unfounded. Obviously, <laughs> that um. Oh, this is actually easy. a big uh, money laundering conspiracy because he seems to get big moves, big money moves everywhere without seemingly doing that much at his how, clubs. How, how about this, Patrick Schick to Spurs? Uh, or not the worst shout in the world. I'm not. I don't buy it necessarily, but I, it has merit. Um. Calvert Lewin to Spurs if Spurs if Everton go down. Yeah, that's that's a really good shout. I think uh, I'm gonna put. Calvert I wouldn't Lewin necessarily play him in a two striker formation. If you were doing I mean, that, you, I'd you want. Could, you could, by I say striker, I mean sort of striker slash wide forward. You could have a, um, a left forward. There. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 an option certainly. Yeah, so you could have have that there. And that is our wrap-up for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Take care and uh, have a good one. Peace.